0: Hello, and welcome to another Sports Next Door podcast. My name is Owen. Today is Monday, October 16th. And on this chilly Monday evening, I am joined, as I always am, by my neighbor, Max. How's it going, my friend?
1: A little sleepy, a little buzzing with caffeine. Not too bad, yourself?
0: Hanging in there. Uh, Eventful weekend at Nationals. Came home to some car troubles uh, and a busy work week, of course, that naturally happens coming off a three day work week where you take Monday for the holiday and Friday for uh, extracurricular activities. And yeah, I've been buzzing since about 8 a.m. So I just got to keep that rolling and then start to chill out here uh, towards the end of our evening.
1: Yeah, but don't chill too early because we've got a lot to cover here. This is the full sporting buffet for a change. It's really We've been out of summer for a minute now, but this is the most I've felt it uh, podcast load wise.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely the best sports season here (laughs) since uh, late May, June. We are in full swing and we're about a week away from the NBA getting into their regular season. We'll have nights with all four North American major sports on the go. And then we've got some extra combat corner and, and tennis content to go through extra. today. So plenty of this man talks plenty. about my areas of interest. <laughs> exactly. Well, not the core four, right? Not the core four here in North America. But uh without further ado, I don't I don't think we need to jump into storts. It's all sports on this one. Decolonize our sports leagues. No, yeah. go ahead. <laughs> all right. Football fan cave kicking us off here. NFL we- recap of uh, uh, this week's action of NFL football. It was a, I, I've been assigning themes to each week of the season. And I think this week was the official week to provide heart attacks for our gambling friends. A couple of heavy favorites tied in a lot of teases fell or were on the verge of falling, uh, giving folks sometimes to clutch their chests and their wallets. Uh, as the Carolina Panthers started off 14-0 against the Miami Dolphins, ended wow. up losing by uh, 21, I believe, and and blew that spread. They have yet to cover a spread so far this year. And Miami, uh, the explosive offense doesn't stop. Tyreek Hill stealing a fan's phone, doing a backflip, uh, kind of an epic celebration, but naturally going to get fined for that. I would love to see what his fine total is on the year. I'm going to look that up and see if that's continuing to tally for next week. The Buffalo Bills in Sunday night football survive on the last play of the game being a relatively obvious DPI that wasn't called by the referees. And they survived the New York Giants only scoring 14 points. Uh, They had no points basically through half and and the Giants really sold on an opportunity to put nine on the board, uh tried running the ball with no timeouts and 15 seconds left, couldn't get back to spike it and get one more try and the, the clock runs out on the half. And then last play of the game, they go for a play action kind of toss to the receiver over the middle and maybe they should have run it on that play. So some poor management there by Brian Dayball, and, and the Giants miss an opportunity here, and it looks like their season is already over. Shout out to Tyrod Taylor, though, who is finally back playing. Uh, he's had some bad luck in recent years, so it was nice to see him flailing around. Cleveland Browns get the biggest upset of the weekend, taking down the San Francisco 49ers, who wow. were on a roll and seemingly the best team in the NFL Obviously, uh, Christian McCaffrey goes down, and Brock Purdy, after that, didn't look so MVP-like, and I think it just really shows how intensely valuable Christian McCaffrey is, but the Niners started to look a little bit more exposed. Uh, The defense was great, as always, and uh, they obviously got to feast against... PJ Walker, XFL legend for the Cleveland Browns today. It's weird that we don't really know what's going on with Deshaun Watson, but uh, in a defensive battle, Cleveland j- did just enough to squeak by and that's a tough one for the Niners. Uh, obviously, they're they're still in great position at the top of their division, but looking ahead, that was one that You want want to have going into some of these divisional games and they don't get it. And Cleveland kind of saves their season with that tight victory. Another team that really was written off and people had as a one in five team in the way that they were treated in the media and how it's been going. But with the gauntlet of the schedule they've had in the first six weeks, it is remarkable that the New York Jets are three and three. They get a late interception return, uh, and Brees Hall walks it in, and they shock the Philadelphia Eagles, who lose earlier in their season than anyone had anticipated. They look a lot more vulnerable than they did last year, with a stronger strength of schedule, of course, but... Uh, It is the first time that New York Jets have beaten the Philadelphia Eagles in their franchise history. So a big win. (laughs) A lot, a lot of teasers tied to that game that got burned. And yeah, Browns, Jets this weekend, big gambling killers for any of the public who are heavily leveraged on either of those games. All right, fantasy player of the week here got a shout out, Justin Tucker. uh, A kicker who is often one of the highest if not the highest kicker drafted in fantasy drafts but it just feels like it's been a while since he's actually delivered on how great of a kicker he is the Ravens haven't used him as much in the past two seasons but in London against the Titans he had four field goals in the first half finished with 19 fantasy points just a big lift for any of the Fantasy teams that needed a boost from their kicker this week because fantasy was all over the board. But Justin Tucker gets my fantasy MVP this week. Uh, not often that you see a kicker swing the tide of of these games. How'd you do? And, uh, win in one league, loss in the other. Okay. It's a, it's a pretty mediocre season so far. I am struggling at the running back position. I had yeah. to start Justice Hill and Latavius Murray this week. I don't know who either of those guys are and so we'll leave that as it is it is painful the london game in the nfl it's a gimmick and i don't need to have it every week so mm-hmm. let's let's have our one more game in germany but i i really don't think we need it every week um that's my thought on that and until we have a european division which would be kind of fun until that happens Stop playing a game every week overseas. It really, it messes up things quite a bit and it's far too early. Games look forward to next week. Dolphins, Eagles, Lions, Ravens are the ones I have circled on the calendar. It's nice. I'm finally going to have an actual weekend off to watch these games and provide some true insight into what I'm seeing. But we'll, we'll circle back next Monday and see if, if that's actually the case. And until then, that's been Football Fan Cave.
1: All right, moving on to combat corner, there was some pretty shocking news in the MMA UFC world this week. The UFC and USADA, US anti-doping agency who have been together for the past eight years will be parting ways as of January 1st, 2024. And it seems like Conor McGregor may be the main reason Though that's not entirely clear. We're going to go over the short-term timeline of the last week, and then talk some of the broader context of these events. So as far as I can tell, on October 8th, Conor McGregor enter, re-entered the USADA testing pool, which he has been inactive in uh, since his loss to Dustin Poirier, where he injured his leg, uh, after which he withdrew from testing. USADA rules are you need to be in the pool for six months and have two negative tests before you can fight unless you're transferring directly from some other league. I think there might be a couple other exemptions. Uh, None that would affect McGregor though. The very next day, the UFC informs USADA that they will be parting ways on January 1st, that the UFC will not be renewing their contract with them. Uh, And then on October 11th, USADA through journalist Ariel Helwani, one of the probably the MMA journalists with the least credibility and the most antagonism towards the UFC. Uh, He's the only mainstream one you can name who's actively banned from events, and but still like a very mainstream MMA journalist. So I think it's something of a statement that they issue it through him on their own. Um, Essentially, it acknowledges that McGregor is back in the testing pool, notes that he, they believe he should remain in the testing pool for six months before fighting, and then say, sadly, we cannot control this as the UFC has informed us, we won't be uh, with them as of January 1st. And then just generally cast some shade on the ethics of the UFC, discuss the long-term health and well-being of the fighters. Uh, And there's no direct statement made by them, but the way they bring up McGregor and then transition, it seems like they're implying that the UFC's decision has a lot to do with that. The UFC through Hunter Campbell, who's kind of like your standard lawyer dickhead, um, who wields the full power of the law in all its corporate interest uh, at the UFC masthead, threatens legal action. It was a pretty milk toast bland statement from the Usada. I cannot imagine. I almost feel stupid for spending any time wasted on uh, Hunter Campbell and Dana White's comments. They both blast the statement as if it was ten times more loaded, more finger pointing than it was. Um, but. But we really, we haven't heard anything on the UFC's end about why they decided to part ways. Some of the USADA CEO talk is about money, that that's what the UFC was saying in their very last meetings. Um, But really, it's unclear if on the UFC's end this is just over Conor McGregor. Let's talk about that a little. As I said, he exits the testing pool after that uh, leg injury to Poirier pretty commonly accepted that the reason he exits the pool is so he can get on some banned substances which will expedite the recovery of the leg it's really hard to imagine any reason to exit other than that frankly um and then he goes he films the ultimate fighter so it seems like he's gonna fight chandler next that came out in what april may And everyone's kind of waiting, like, when's the fight going to happen? And the USADA thing's been the barometer, like, well, the fight can't be happening. He hasn't gotten back in the pool
0: and he needs to be in the pool for six months. And we're just waiting and waiting. Do you have a question? I do. So if they are parting ways with USADA, then is it just going to all of a sudden be a juiced league or what's kind of the alternative partnership that they're looking at here?
1: So they do have an alternative partnership lined up. Um, but it is much looser Mm. guidelines. Uh, We'll get there
0: towards the end. So John Jones is going to be all over this too. Yeah, it's,
1: (laughs) we'll close off on this, but it's going to be a new or an old era of the UFC coming back as of January. Um, And it's unclear if it's just for Conor McGregor or for, it's for a lot of stuff. Like, mcgregor thing is so strange because it's like the ufc wants him on 300 they stacked ufc 100 they stacked ufc 200 he's the biggest star in the sport ever so it's reasonable that they'd want him on 300 i'd question that but we'll let that Mm. statement stand as it is um but but if they know they want him on 300 he just has to get in the pool before six months before so it's like was the leg still healing? Was he still enjoying some benefits of some juice and not ready to go back in the pool? Is it just the same shit it's been with him for the last six years where he's just not that interested in fighting by his actions, no matter what his social media posts say? And he's just not taking the steps he needs to take to fight fast enough because he can't be bothered. Like why he waited till October to get back in the pool when, if he knew he wanted to, he was talking about December. It's it it's really hard to fathom what went on there. Um, other things about the USADA rain, like this, it's hard to watch year after year and feel like this has been a clean sport. There have been some freaks beyond freaks among freaks of nature over the last eight years. And I don't want to point fingers, uh, name names that with like nothing to back it up. Um, but but it did do something. If you look at the era of the UFC before USADA and things like TRT Belfort and Johnny Hendricks and so many names and how they dropped off after USADA came in, it became clear that it wasn't impossible to cheat. It was just much harder and you had to be much smarter about it. And I think that did do something. Um, So a difficult but somewhat ineffective program i I think it's also worth noting like numerable picogram scandals the john jones one comes to mind but other fighters like sean o'malley where you saw to suspense them they say they got caught with tainted supplements but at the same time they also say it's trace amounts we think it's a contaminated substance but the ban still stands even if it's reduced that was always very confusing and it happened multiple times Um, They also woke up a lot of fighters in a very unprofessional manner, which just challenges and questions their ability to fight and was often one-sided, like only one fighter and not their opponent. And you question if that gives an advantage. There is a defense that if you wait till the fighters woken up on their own, then they have a chance to clear their urinary tract. And the second dose after that is going to be less telling than the first dose uh, but you'd still hope for more fairness applied in that situation that said they caught two ufc champions john jones and tj dillashaw for doping and that's something that i do not think will happen under drug free sport international the new partnership with the ufc i'm not sure if you recognize that name owen i
0: don't but it just it sounds fake (laughs) well let
1: me tell you (laughs) Uh, You know very many leagues that are well acquainted with drugs-free sport international, including the NFL, the NBA, and the MLB, three leagues which are notable for having the freakiest freaks of nature, and yet somehow very, very, very little uh, drug scandals or steroid catches of any players. In recent years. Mm -hmm. Just if, if it's... Like just look around at guys like Zion Williamson, DJ Metcalf. Um I, I don't know. Like name as many names as you want to name. You can probably come up with more than me. Uh it, it seems much less random the testing, more informed in advance. And uh it seems like the UFC is going to move into a new era that will likely have freakier freaks of nature, and also Conor McGregor most likely fighting in February on UFC 300. It, it's kind of just a funny thing now where he's in the testing pool. He's not going to fight before January 1st, almost certainly, because nothing's been announced and no fight camps been started. Um, But yeah, it, there's a new era coming to the UFC in terms of doping and PEDs, and it'll be really Interesting to see what fighter performance looks like in the coming years after that. The um, eight-year reign of Usada is over. May
0: it rest in peace.
1: Yeah. Other combat corner news: we've got a big one. Uh, some big shakeups on the pay-per-view card coming up this week. Islam Makashev will no longer be rematching Charles Oliveira. Instead, he will be rematching Alexander Volkanovsky. It's a fight that if they had outright booked it and done a full fight camp for, would have felt kind of stupid and pointless with the whole lightweight division on hold. The featherweight division can wait honestly with what Volk's done to it. Um, But on 10 days notice, Justin Gaethje was really the only name you could offer up that's a better option than Alexander Volkanovsky. and honestly, I'd probably pick Volkanovsky over Gaethje if the two were to fight. Uh, so the UFC finds a way to convince me to watch this fight again. Muck, neither fighter much notice to prepare, but they fought literally this year. So the fight camp and the after fight notes should be in recent memory. With Makashev being the winner last time, with him having the full fight camp, he should be a favorite, though I don't imagine he will be a huge favorite uh, because Volkanovsky is just that good and he gets to come in fresh. Just enough notice to not be totally cold and absolutely nothing to lose here. It's going to be really interesting to see which fighter changes it up and learns more and uh, acts better on the data collected last fight. I think that's who's going to take it. As I said, Islam, the favorite. um, His camp has had the most professional, the attitude of a world champion that you'd want to see. Khabib will be in his corner, I believe this time. See how much of a difference there is there. And um, yeah, I, I think this one could go either way. Even more exciting as a shakeup fight, Kamzat Jamaev will no longer be fighting Paulo Costa. He will instead be fighting Kamaro Usman, who moves up to middleweight on short notice. And oh, this is a dream fight for me. I have been fantasizing about this fight for years. I thought it might happen at welterweight. I'm not mad at seeing it at middleweight. Just Kamaro Usman for so long at welterweight was bigger more athletic than anyone, had more grappling technicality, and was a high enough MMA IQ to use all those advantages to just um, strike when his opponent was too busy worrying about all those other things. And he slowly put together better and better striking fundamentals and just turned into quite the complete fighter by the end of his championship reign. So I always wondered what happens when he goes up against a guy who's bigger than him and has at least as much, if not more, grappling technique and skill than he does, and that's exactly who comes at Jemayev is. Uh, Usman's mm-hmm. not going to have that strength advantage he had against most fighters that just lets him back them down, hold them, and uh, pull them down at any mistake. Uh, he, there's a chance he could end up on the bottom, which is something we've hardly seen in his career. I think he maybe has a striking advantage here, just being the more technical, more disciplined uh, style against the wild man fighter that that is comes at. But this is just such an awesome matchup. Uh, the short notice, the middleweight, it's not as high on my list as if it had happened three years ago but kamzat's just been a phenom whenever he's gotten in the cage few and far between it's a rise in opponent even say what you will against about usman and where he's at in his career and what he might or might not look like at middleweight we truly don't know i've heard it indicated the winner of this fight gets sean strickland and a shot at the belt Next. um And I think that's fairly justified in the weird way the middleweight division has turned out with Izzy on hiatus, but having kind of cleaned out the whole thing. Uh, Driscus Duplice might have something to say about that, and I'd be inclined to listen to him. Nonetheless, this is going to be a really exciting fight. And An awesome main and co-main. You don't see a fighter drop off of one of each and still have the card almost 100% salvage. But I think you can say it's been done in this case. So early pay-per-view Saturday morning. I'm excited to be watching.
0: Speaking of pay-per-view, we've got one coming up tonight as we talk. Puck drop between the Leafs and the Blackhawks. Underway, Connor Bedard and Austin Matthews. You cannot miss this talent in the early stages of the season. Bedard already with an assist and a goal in his early games. Great clip of him today refusing to sign a Montreal Canadiens jersey, joking with a kid, ends up doing it eventually. Um, th- they love him. <clears throat> the media, it's it's really easy to, to like the kid and follow him around. And he's going to bring the the, the show on the road here to Toronto tonight. And he's going to run into a Leafs team that is explosive to start the season. (laughs) A 6-5 angina-inducing spectacle followed up with a 7-4 victory against the Minnesota Wild, in which the Leafs nearly blew a lead and then extended a lead uh, and and Matthews with Two hat-tricks in two games and William Nylander with three goals. Contract year Willie is going to become the hashtag, I think, for this season. He is a demon out there. Possession and the shot looks full and healthy. What a start to the season. And some concerns with defense and goaltending. Like It is gruesome in front of their net so far. John Klingberg, of course, the addition who I like. Provides a little bit of offensive pop. He'll shoot the puck at the neck. The Leafs didn't get any defensive scoring last year. But what comes with that is the inability to move anyone in front of your net. And that is what they had significant problems with against Montreal, against, against Tampa, against Boston in the past. These are the older Leafs teams. And then they did see some success with moving people in front of the net with the likes of Muzzin and McCabe. But I am worried. Early days still, I am worried about what I've seen so far on the defensive end. And then, of course, Samsonov, not the most steady presence, but getting a lot of offensive help so far in the early season. And we're going to get to see what Joseph Wohl looks like tonight in his really first start as the full-time backup on this team. And a lot of folks are high on what he could produce and what he could be for this team. I'm going to go ahead and predict that he lets in one goal on 24 shots tonight and the Leafs continue their winning streak against the Blackhawks. a nice start to the season. I certainly had my angina
1: moments uh, (laughs) against the Wild. um, All of that second period, we were up a goal and generating no offense, even into the third. Um, It it did not feel like a game comfortably in hand, really, until we got it back up to 6-4. Not too worried, not too focused. Early on, this early on in the season, Uh, fun to see some fireworks and remember how good Matthews can be on offense. Though
0: you can tell he was definitely nursing that wrist injury for the majority of the season, and now that he's fully healthy, like he's going to score so many goals. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Love it another generational talent to talk about here as we get into basketball storylines oh my god
1: i i've seen some stat lines i've seen some highlights i think you're a little more checked into it than i am but it seems like victor Wembenyama is exactly as legit and as ready
0: as everyone's been forecasting man man 23 4 4 and 3 in his most recent game against uh oh who was it i think it was the lakers or nuggets or uh, whoever Thomas Bryant was playing for. I think he was playing for the Heat. Yes, yes, thank you. Because there's a play where it gets dropped off to Wembenyama in the post. He yeah. spins to his right and just go-go gadgets his arm into the stratosphere to throw down a left-handed dunk. And there's a clip of Thomas Bryant turning incredulously to the yeah. sideline <laughs> and saying, what just happened? We've seen um, the same highlight. We've already We've already seen him uh shapeshift into a arcade claw and snatch it from the hands of Jalen Williams in their game against OKC he's erased shots it's it's actually comical like pay-per-view we're talking about I've I already have league pass for this year and I'm going to spend every second watching this guy because people drive within five feet of the basket and don't even look at it they don't even look at the net they're terrified and Jesus. it's only going to get worse as these highlights continue to happen. Um, it's really interesting early days. It looks like San Antonio doesn't even want him on the defensive glass. Like if he's not near the paint, he's out and running. They're going to rely on their other guys to rebound the ball, get him in, in transition. And his catch radius is so massive that you can just kind of throw it up there. It's like Randy <laughs> Moss He's going to get it and get a free dunk on the other end. But, the truly special stuff that we're seeing early on is the clip of him bringing the ball to court. Chetty Osmond sets a screen, in and out between the legs, dribble, and drives the lane for the the contact finish. Like that stuff is unbelievable. The step back jumpers in transition, the moving to his left or to his right off of screens and shooting threes is it's unblockable at seven foot four, and so it's it's unbelievable to see and worth the price of admission if you're going to games and certainly worth the price of league pass this year uh i i am just so thrilled that he's not going to be on national tv yet so i can watch all of his games and then we're gonna have to figure it out when he becomes an instant superstar uh this season Mm -hmm. i heard uh the game against okc and the duel with chet
1: holmgren was something a little special too
0: very, very fun. And I think there's already a bit of a friendly rivalry between yeah. the two. Uh, highlight of when Binyama ducking his shoulder into Chet, getting the and one flexing and Chet retweeted it on, on X and said, uh, I, I the headbutt move is a new one. So <laughs> there's, there's a little bit of talking, a little bit of chatter. And it's just great for the league that you've got these two young, awesome centers that are going to step in and provide two way presence right away center point guards but yeah. yeah rookie of the year race is going to be tight yeah we've got scoot anderson uh of course we've got some european projects and of course not to be forgotten is brandon miller who was the the a number one pick potential in any other year that wasn't victor von and he showed some stuff last night for charlotte And I don't know if he'll start even if, if Gordon Hayward's fully healthy, but he had some moments where, uh, he looked pure in the mid range area, didn't hit a three, but the main clip that was surfacing was the attempted dunk kind of switching to a finger roll in midair, just looked very fluid. And he's got a good NBA body that hopefully he can grow into and, and continue to improve his scoring. Cause Charlotte is going to need it this year. Uh, I have them projected to be pretty low but we won't get into our season preview until next week
1: no uh for now on rankings we'll focus oh no you've got more basketball my mistake
0: yeah no uh brandon miller just the shout out there that i really liked is he's already rebounding quite well which is a good foundational skill to have for a young player uh, and then i gotta give a shout out to the new york liberty bench was m.i.a But they did get plenty of scoring uh, from the starting lineup, notably Brianna Stewart. Of course, she is going to put in a shift every time she steps on the court. And this series now, the WNBA Finals is 2-1. And also shout out to Caitlin Clark in Iowa, who played an outdoor game in front of 55,000 in cold weather. Uh, What a spectacle. But I will stop it there and let you finish up with some tennis talk.
1: All right. Uh, the Shanghai Masters 1000 has wrapped up, and the champion is Hubert Hurkacz, who defeats Andre Rublev in a three-setter in the final. Um, both players weathered an early draw that saw most of the top seeds uh, falling out in the first three four rounds. Uh, they found themselves in the quarter semifinals quarters and semis situation where they had to just maintain their level and beat some guys who had scrambled in there with them. They both are able to and end up as players with the higher rankings and most experience in the finals. Uh, In the final itself, each player stayed very well on serve. uh, catch. And particularly exceptional in that first set, able to find some space and get a break on of serve late in the set. Rublev a much better second set, able to get that space a bit earlier with a break and back it up to take the set. Third goes all the way to the tie break where both players get a chance at match point. Um, both have to defend on their own serve, and ultimately hercatch the player with the bigger, harder, more consistent weapon of a serve, he, has, he only has to defend one, whereas Rublev has to defend three or four of them, and eventually Rublev falling out, he had a chance breaking earlier in that tiebreak, but uh, hercatch was able to get it back. And a really nice title for her catch, adds a second Masters 1000 trophy to his collection, uh, puts a stamp on a year that's been kind of quiet for him, and adds a 1000 points to his name in the, well, rankings, but at this point in the season I'm more interested in the Turin live rankings race to the Nito ATP finals. Uh, and her has put himself just 335 points behind the 8th place Holger Rune, uh, which gives him a great shot at it as he's currently enrolled in the Tokyo 500 this week. He's sitting at 11th. In the live rankings, all of the seeds 9-15 through in the draw for the Tokyo 500-0, they all know what's on the line. They're all within reach of Holger Rune, who's playing the Nordic Open in Stockholm this week uh, with a chance at 250 points. In the live ranking, I think he might have won this last year, so his ranking wouldn't change overall. Um, But he's still in a really rough cold spell, lost in the first or second round at Shanghai. Um, He he needs to get some winning going. It's hard to think with the trajectory he's on with the points in Tokyo, with some more 500 events, with Paris coming up, that if he keeps playing like he is, uh, he'll have a chance Rublev, for his part, has been sitting pretty comfortably in fifth for a little while now. The points from the finals appearance don't make him an official favorite, but unofficially, he sits like 1,200 points above Rune, uh, even more points above Fritz, the ninth place. So you'd need six, seven, eight, and someone out of the top eight to all get over 1,000 points. Uh, It's not mathematically impossible yet, but feels almost a certain thing. We'll see Andre Rublev. In Italy, uh, Stefano Siti sitting in that sixth place spot. He's playing in Antwerp 250, where he's the top seed. Uh, so looking to put a bit of space. And as I said, eyes on Tokyo. Seat live seeds nine through fifteen going to be playing this week. If one of them can make a run and take the title, they'll put themselves in nice position for contention. Uh, I'd say those spots six through eight just 500 points separating a lot of these players and there will be three four opportunities left in the season uh, for any of these guys to make a move could be a TFO a Hercatch a Taylor Fritz Alex Diemenauer Tommy Paul uh one or two more names I'm tip of my tongue right now so yeah we're lower stakes but like almost more clean and easy to follow some of these storylines so i think should be a really interesting week in tokyo especially if a lot of these guys can move on to the quarters Uh, there will be a lot of momentum up for grabs here as we close out the atp season
0: great tennis segment here and i thought i wasn't gonna have the time but i can now rant about baseball so the texans gave game one in the aocl alcs over the houston astros the only team that was uh the home seed in their respective series to make it through the first or second round of the playoffs Uh, and then we've got the phillies and the diamondbacks here in the nlcs but a lot of talk these last couple weeks about how favorites have been dismantled in the MLB playoffs, right? The Atlanta Braves, the Baltimore Orioles, winning all of those games just to lose in three, four games, right? And it's a a significant issue that devalues the worth of the regular season, especially one where it is so long and so few teams make the playoffs. So I have a solution. We need to continue to incentivize teams in the regular season, besides obviously making the playoffs, but incentivizing teams to push for those higher seeds in the playoffs and not just, oh, we can middle it into a wild card and then turn it on. And it'll actually be more beneficial to play the wild card because baseball players are used to playing every day and not getting a week off before this really intense playoff series. So let's get eight teams in there pretty standard. NHL does it. NBA does it. And, and actually the MLB has less teams right now than the NHL. So it would be more along the lines of the NBA, right? Eight out of, out of 30. Uh, The NHL is doing 16 though. Yeah, you're correct. I totally messed that up. (laughs) Not eight from, yeah. So eight from each conference, but in the MLB really, you're only getting the, the six teams from each side. So let's get eight. Let's get either top two teams and two wild cards or top team from each division and then five wild cards, however you want to do it. Let's get eight teams in from each conference. And then in the first round of the playoffs, the home team in the best of five series gets all five games at home. Incentivize teams to still play for a top four seed Give them the advantage that they deserve. But have all the teams play right away. Don't have teams waiting for a week. You can give everybody two days off, level the playing field. And that's, I believe, how it should be. And it'll solve a lot of these qualms. Baseball has already proven that they're not afraid at this point to change the rules, try and do things to make it more exciting for the product. And there is my suggestion. So thanks, everyone, for listening. We managed to get through the Sports Buffet. Yeah, I, just long enough.
1: Not going to question, dwell, do anything. Just see you all next week. And until then, Sports Next Door signing out. Peace.
0: Get to the